many years ago, about probably 10 or 15 years ago, I made an agreement with the Lord that I would, boy, it would be awesome if I could have the the wireless, if that could be arranged. Um, My agreement was that if somebody ever asked me to preach, I would never say no. And uh, I stuck to that most of the time. And there were times where I would say no. And I would feel terrible. That was years ago. And then, as many of you know, I was a pastor in Texas for several years. And uh, just questioned my calling to that particular form of ministry and, and uh, kind of led into another ministry. And from there, sort of out here to California. And uh, so it's been a number of years since anybody asked me to preach. So Dean, my dad actually said, oh, Dean was wanting to know if you would speak on Sabbath. And I said, uh, I'll let you know. So I texted my dad and I said, no. So he told Dean. The answer was no. And then ever since then, I just have not felt good about giving that answer. And so even this morning, I'm coming to church and I'm driving and I have the video with me. Um, I, the David Asherick sermon which is fantastic. Even this morning, I got to church and I'm thinking, no, no. And I walked into church and Chris came up to me and said, are you speaking? I said, no. <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, I wish, I wish you could speak. She said, we have a traveling, we have ministers that come and different people come and they speak. And, and I would like to arrange it if you could come and start speaking here. Can I bring that up at the board? I said, yeah, go ahead. That'll give me some time to prepare at least. And uh, so I, I know there's a verse in the, in the New Testament that says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And Paul is in there. He's talking in the New Testament. He's saying, look, I know that uh, you guys owe me a lot, he's saying to them, because I preach to you. I should make a living off of that. He said, but I'm not going to make a living off of that. I'm going to preach for free. And in the meantime, he's making tents to support himself, right? And so he says, I'm going to make a living not off you, off my own. And not only for myself, I actually help others with my money. He said, but I have a right, if I wanted to, to take money from you guys. Right? You've read this. Those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel, God's plan. Paul says, no, it's not the case. But he said, so even if I didn't even want to take money from you and I didn't have anything to do with that system, he says, still, I am compelled to preach because I have a calling. And he finally just comes out and says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And I just felt terrible going back on my little promise. It's been years since I spoke. And... Um, But I just couldn't say no. So I want to begin with prayer. And then I want to go to the the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
we ask for your presence this morning. We know that there are systems in the world, there are systems even in the church, which do not lead us to the fountains of living water. But there is a Savior, and you gave him to us to find our way back to heaven. And as we look into your word, may that be our authority this morning and nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Hebrews, take your Bibles please and open Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. How many of you, I'd like just to, let's just take a poll. Raise your hand if you're holy. Okay, it took a few seconds. A couple hands went, three hands went up. Louder. Louder? Can you not hear that well back there? Raise your hands if you're holy. Does your lifestyle reflect that? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and, what's the next word? Holiness. Oh yeah, we should try to pursue holiness. Dedication to God, being separate from the world, separate from sin. Uh, But then it goes on, it doesn't just stop there, it doesn't just say pursue peace with all people and holiness. It goes on and says, without which no one will what? See the Lord. that becomes kind of uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because now we go, oh, is this verse true? Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which, without holiness, no person, no man, no woman will see the Lord. That's talking about heaven, where we no longer see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And I would say, woe is me if I spend the next 35 minutes undoing what inspiration has put in the scriptures and try to make us feel comfortable that maybe there's a loophole for you and me who are not holy. We don't feel holy But the Bible says it. And a man came to Jesus one night, and I would say he probably, no, I would say for sure, he looked more holy than anybody in this room. This was a very spiritual man. He wasn't just, you know, we think of Pharisees as these men with terribly sad faces, big looks of condemnation, going around speaking like this. 
This man was not like that. This man had given money to the church. He had probably given money to the poor. He was earnestly seeking God. He was a spiritual person. He knew his Bible. He studied it probably every day. He prayed at least three times a day. He fasted twice a week. Who here has fasted a whole day in the last year? He fasted twice every week. He wasn't doing this because he was parading himself, marching around saying, I am holy. I am wonderful. God is going to let me right into his kingdom. It wasn't that this man was so proud or boastful. He was a spiritual man. He was an earnest seeker for truth. And he came to Jesus, but he was too embarrassed to come in the daytime. And he came at night. And he found his way to where the disciples and Jesus were there together. And this man was searching. And his name, do you know it? Was Nicodemus. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. If we read this story thinking of Nicodemus as this stern man walking around like this, then we will come to the wrong conclusion. You will not see yourself there because you're not like that. But if you see Nicodemus for who he really was, he was not one of these mean Pharisees that was trying to kill Jesus. He was coming to Jesus to meet with him. Something Jesus had said had reached in and stirred his heart. This man was, an, was the equivalent of an elder in the church. More than that, this man was the equivalent of, say, a conference president. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of 72 men who ruled Israel in spiritual things and other things. Look in your Bibles. There was a man of the Pharisees, the Bible says, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now Nicodemus is thinking to actually lift Jesus up a little bit. He's, uh, he's really flattering him. Can you see that? We know that you're a teacher come from God, he says. No one could do miracles like this unless God had sent him, so that the evidence is clear. You are from God. You're a teacher from God. A little bit of flattery there. But really, he betrays his doubt because Jesus was not just a teacher. He was the Son of God. Satan does this to us sometimes, by the way. Satan comes to us and he flatters us he gets us to sin by trying to convince us, do this thing, it'll make you look good. Maybe it'll boost your pride. Maybe we'll feel a little better about ourselves, more confidence in ourselves if we do something or look a certain way or dress a certain way or drive a certain car, make ourselves look better. But we are children of the King of Kings. And if we accept his, Satan's premise that we're down low and we need to boost ourselves by our appearance or by the money we have or by the job we have or how we talk or look, then we are giving in to Satan's premise. We're saying, you're right, I am down here. I do need to lift myself up. 
We need to just ignore that premise and say, I'm a son of the living God. I'm a daughter of the king of kings. And so he says, teacher, we know you come from God. Jesus, this is so amazing to me. Jesus is so direct. You know, later on in the next chapter, he's so gentle with the woman at the well. He leads her around gently. He brings her. She tries to take off. She says, no. Uh, she starts theological discussions to avoid issues about her life, and he gently lets her lead, and then he brings her back. But Nicodemus, he's so straightforward. He just says straightforward. Look at He says there in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This really was like somebody coming to you and saying, you know, I know you're a wonderful Sabbath school teacher. And you look at them and say, if you do not have a complete change of heart, you'll never be saved. Or as teachers, we have a few teachers, retired teachers, and someone comes and says to you, you know, you're, you're a fantastic teacher, but you're just a spiritual woman. And you look and say, you'll never make it to heaven the way you are right now. That would kind of startle you. And Nicodemus needed that. He felt somewhat assured of the kingdom of God, but he knew something was missing inside. And then it goes on in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How ridiculous. But this is what the heart, natural heart does when it finds that some truth that we don't want to hear comes close to home. Have you ever noticed this? When you hear something that you know is true, there was a sermon we were just listening to last week or the week before that said, it's talking about guilt trips. Oh, you're putting a guilt trip on me. Well, there's a reason guilt trips work. Because you feel guilty for it. If you, if you didn't feel guilty for what you were doing, you, I mean, if, it, if there was no problem with what you were doing, you wouldn't feel guilty. And so it's the same thing. You end up being startled out of your security and you become irrational. What? How can a man be born when he is old? Look at verse 4. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Which, of course, is ridiculous. But this is what Nicodemus this is, he's startled out of his comfort zone. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This goes back to what we talked about in Hebrews chapter 12. There's a holiness we must have without which we cannot see the Lord. There is a new birth experience we must have without which we cannot see the Lord. I just want to share now just a little bit. Uh, having been a pastor for a while, having been a theology major for a while, being involved for years and years and years in the theological discussions and issues and new sermons and things that come our way, uh, I have seen uh, a trend in my life and in the life of our church, our Adventist church, especially I would say uh, out here in the West. We, let's be honest, 
A lot of stuff begins in California. Bad and good. And I didn't know this until I went out to Texas, but California, all of California is L.A. <laughs> when people heard I was from California, they would say, oh, I, I've never been to L.A. <laughs> and I said, well, it's like, it's, it's two different uh, states. You just draw a line right above San Francisco, and it's like you're going into a different state. Uh, oh, okay. They didn't believe me. I was liberal. Even though out here in California, I'm conservative. Out there, I was liberal. I mean, I wasn't really, but they thought I was. Um, but one of the things out in California here is that we are learning more about the gospel, about justification by faith. We're, le- we're reading Romans and Galatians. And I have studied Romans and Galatians for years. And I love those books. And I especially love Galatians right now. But I have found something in my study. And I don't think it's just in in me. You've seen this for years. Those of you who are older than me are going to say, man, I've seen (laughs) that was happening 50 years before you were born, Jeremy. And you're right, I'm sure. But I'm seeing something come back. And here's what it is. You draw a line down the middle of this church, okay? And you've got, when it comes to righteousness by faith, justification, sanctification, how we are saved, you've got two sides. You've all known this, but you'll see what I'm talking about. You have a side that says, folks, to be saved, you've got to keep the law. No one in the Adventist church will ever say you are justified by works. But I would say the majority of us believe that. Not those words. But in our lives, we find our security in what we are doing, our own obedience to God's law. We sit on this side, and some of people with strong wills can do it and keep those Ten Commandments externally and councils on diets and foods and on and on. You can do it. And then there's others that can't. And they struggle and they try and then they fail, become discouraged. And then they get up and try again and fail and become discouraged. They may like contemporary Christian music, but they're on this side. They may eat unclean meat, but they're on this side. Maybe you're in that camp. Or maybe you're the one with the strong will. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. The point is, most people on this side are very sincere. And then there's the side over here. And this side is the side where I think it's starting to reawaken again. And I'm seeing people on this side getting tired of it and looking across. And here's what this side is. This side is saying... Folks, we can never fully obey the law. We can never fully keep the law. So don't really even worry about it. We're saved by grace. Don't really worry about this part. Don't really try to do good. But folks, you can never keep God's law completely. 
which incidentally I heard Morris Venden one time in a sermon on a tape that I found somewhere, I think that Dorcas at PUC or Anglin, there's a little community service center, I was digging through there, I found a tape of Morris Venden preaching a sermon at PUC when he was the pastor back in the 70s. And he was talking about issues of righteousness by faith at the end time and keeping the commandments of God. And he said, just suppose, for those of you who are on this side, he didn't say this side, but he was talking about people who I would say on this side. And he said, just suppose that, you know, at the end of time, you're brought before judges and kings as witnesses for your faith. And they say, oh, you keep the Sabbath. Okay, get up on there. And you get up on the witness stand and they say, okay, now. Do you believe the Seventh-day Sabbath is still valid and binding? Yes. Really? So you believe that you can keep God's law? No. Oh. You, you don't believe you can keep God's law completely? No, I, I, I think it's valid. I, nobody can keep it. Oh, well, case dismissed. The effectiveness of our witness at the end of time for God's Sabbath is totally invalidated if we don't believe that we can actually be obeying God's law. But that's what this side's at. And I'm seeing people on this side, hearing people preach on that side and saying, that sounds better than what I've got because they're smiling. They don't know. They still struggle with depression. They still struggle with lust and sin. And often they end up leaving the Lord. But they still are on this side. We're on this side and we're looking over. And I started studying Galatians and I thought, you know, under the law, what does that mean? Under the law. And as I started studying that issue, I started kind of looking at the conclusion going, whoa, this is different than what I thought. But then I saw something in Galatians that just pointed straight. And I know we hear this all the time. Look out for the left, look out for the right. And sometimes what the, what the speaker sometimes means with that is don't really do what they're doing and don't do what they're doing, just kind of blend the two and do what's in the middle. And that's not what I mean by the middle. I want you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Do you know what under the law means? When the Bible says that you are not under the law, but under grace, do you know what that means? Um, I've wanted to do this for actually a couple of years now. Would you raise your hand if you're not under the law? Cool. All right. Um, I've got to read this verse to you guys. Uh, Romans 6, verse 14. You may not have been aware of this. Yeah, I know. I took you to the Galatians, but now, based on the hands that didn't go up, I'm going to Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, you need to keep your finger at Galatians 3, but Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not, what? You're not under law. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under Yes, but under? Oh, so that side's right. I'm not going to undo this verse. I hope you're not looking at me with bewildered faces thinking, okay, make sense of this. Somehow tell us that we actually are under the law so we can feel comfortable. The Bible does say, though, that we are not under the law but under grace. Well, all my life, especially as I started getting into theology at PUC, it is very clear that under the law means under the condemnation of the law. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. Chapter 4. No, Galatians 4. Galatians 4.21. All right, please stay with me now. You got your Bibles open. You just read a verse that said we're not under the law. And then I've told you that usually in evangelistic meetings, you've heard this over and over again, you guys, that under the law means we're not under the condemnation of the law anymore. Now, I want to read a verse to you from Galatians. We're going to read it together. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under what? The law. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. And he goes on and talks about one is Mount Sinai, one is Jerusalem. And he goes on and makes an illustration. But he begins by saying, tell me, you who want to be under the law. Paul was writing to the Galatian church. They weren't that much different than we are today. It was a real church with real people who struggled with salvation just like we do and struggled with issues of works and faith just like we do. And people had come in there and they'd been teaching them certain things. And Paul was writing to counteract that message. And he goes right into it from Galatians. He doesn't even begin with a nice little introduction. Most letters he says, you're called to be saints and I thank God for you and all this stuff. And he doesn't even do that with Galatians. He goes right into it. He says, listen, I'm surprised that you are leaving him who called you so quickly. Paul jumps right into it. He says, what you're doing is so bad. It's so dangerous. The road, the the cliff that you are ready to step off of is so dangerous. I have no time to even greet you politely. I'm just going to tell you the truth of what's happening to your life right now. You're getting ready to take a plunge off a cliff that you may not even be able to recover from. And he starts and he goes through the book of Galatians like that. And so he's writing to the people who are starting to look to circumcision and keeping the law as ways to be justified before God. And he says, now, tell me, verse 21, you who desire to be under the law. And here's what I want to ask you. If under the law means under the condemnation of the law, would that make any sense in this verse? Tell me, you who desire to be under the condemnation of the law, you know that nobody in that church was desiring to be under the condemnation of the law. I would propose to you from this verse here that under the law does not mean under the condemnation of the law. Maybe it includes it. But it's talking about under the law as a way to be saved. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, you who are Gentiles by birth, but now you're seeking circumcision, 
you who have taken the law and began to observe days, months, seasons, and years, you who want to be right with God by keeping the law, you that's what they were seeking. That's what if you read Galatians, you know. People, you know, you who have studied Galatians, we, our church studied it. Several, uh, what was it, last year in our Sabbath school quarterly. You know that Galatians is writing, trying to correct an idea of legalism. And he calls that idea, he says, that is called being under the law. That's seeking to be under the law, to be justified by keeping the law. Now, I presented this in my own Sabbath school, and uh, it was met with resistance. Did you guys have that here when you were going through Galatians? Did it start to divide or rustle feathers? I, I was amazed. It was so intense in my church as we started to look at the issues because we all can talk the same words, salvation by grace through faith. But Galatians says... Let's open that up and see what that really means. And that's when people started to become divided. Look in Galatians chapter 3 now. You know, this idea where I drew a line, I put some people on the left and some people on the right, in which camp, and you may know what camp you're in, and you may be getting tired of the camp you're in. We know, you know, that we are not saved by our works. You know that we are saved by faith. The error is when we forget that there is a change that must happen in every person in order to go to heaven. And I just want to offer a quick prayer right now as we just look into a little bit more of this because I feel like we need to really focus and I need to focus. Father in heaven, we just pause right now in this sermon and we pray for a clear mind. I pray for a clear mind. And I, we all lift our hearts up and say, Lord, teach us the truth. Let us hear you talking to us in this next important point. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Let's read verse 2 again. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And of course, what is the answer? Right. How does the Holy Spirit come? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How, what, who is the agent by which we are born again? The Holy Spirit. 
Who is the one who's going to make us holy to see the Lord? The Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit come to us through praying for it? Partly, but not independently of something else. According to your Bible in your hand, your New Testament, the historical New Testament document that you hold in your hand, the Holy Spirit comes to us by the hearing of faith. Faith in the sacrifice of Jesus brings the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Why isn't it faith that God will answer my prayer and bring the Holy Spirit? I know that because a few verses down. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So now Paul has drawn up the issue. He's told, he said, how did you receive the Spirit? That's what I want to know, he says. I want to know, how did the Holy Spirit come to you in your life? Was it by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? It was by the hearing of faith. And so then he says, okay, now faith in what? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you, verse 5 now, and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Of course, the answer is by faith. But now, verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him, what? For righteousness. Then it goes more. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of of Abraham. You go, but faith, but, but Jeremy, I've got faith. I believe that God's going to help me pay my rent this month. I believe that he's going to turn my children's lives around and, and lead them back to the Lord someday. I have faith, yes. But that's not what it's talking about here. Verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he would what the Gentiles by faith? You and I are Gentiles. I know we don't think of it in those terms. We're Adventists. We feel we're part of the remnant, you know. But we are Gentiles. This document, this truth, teaches us that we are Gentiles. But here it says that way back, thousands of years ago, before Jesus even was born, God preached the gospel to Abraham. Really? Abraham. And here's what he said there in verse 8, the end of it. In you, Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. Now, this is very simple logic. I have to have it simple. But God says, Abraham, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. And the Apostle Paul picks that up 4,000 years later. And the Apostle Paul picks that verse up and he says, that blessing, when God said that to Abraham, that blessing, he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. 4,000 years later, he was preaching the gospel. 2,000, sorry. Abraham to the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years. He says he was preaching the gospel to us today, to us Gentiles, that we would be justified by faith. So the blessing of Abraham... And you all nations shall be blessed. The blessing was the blessing of justification by faith. See that? And it was justification by faith. It was not someday the Lord would turn the hearts of my children to me by faith. 
Thank God he answers those prayers too. But we're just looking right now at Galatians chapter 3. We're looking at the thing that brings the Holy Spirit. Faith in what brings the Holy Spirit, God? Faith that you are justified by the sacrifice of Jesus. And that brings us back to John 3. We must be born again. You guys, it has to happen. And this is the dangerous line that I'm noticing. We hear how bad we are. We hear how we are sinners. We hear how we have broken the law. And we get discouraged. But then we hear the good news that Jesus died to save us. And the impression is given that the law doesn't really matter as much anymore. But if you feel good towards him, you have good feelings towards him, then you'll be saved too. That's faith and you'll be saved by grace. But that's not enough. We have to have the Holy Spirit and be born again. We have to have a new life. I'm telling you personally, from my experience, salvation by faith, righteousness by faith, justification by faith, will never make sense if you abandon the law. If you think that God takes the law and just squeezes it out of existence for you, because now you believe in Jesus, you'll never find peace, ever, with that message. The law will always exist. It always has existed. And a change needs to come into us to bring us in harmony with that law. But the question is, how does that change happen? That is the question, my friends. (laughs) That is the question that Galatians tries to answer. It does answer it. How am I brought into harmony with God? Man, if we start out preaching the gospel and saying, yeah, you're all sinners, but come to Jesus, and boom, forget about the law, which I know Adventists don't put it in those words, but you guys, come on. That is a message that's reviving in our, in our midst. Not those words, but that impression. And if we leave that behind, we'll never be saved. We have to begin with the place that God's law is eternal. That those principles of heaven never, ever have changed or will change. You know, it brings conviction to us. I read Romans chapter 3 one time. I've read it for so many years where it says, there is, not, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are together become corrupt. On and on and on. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Destruction and misery are in their pathway. The way of peace they have not known. And I always just felt like that was just talking to the sinners in the world. And then I read the next verse. And it just clicked one day. It said, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And that verse took all those terrible things and it turned it around and it pointed it at me. And I thought, that's my problem. I've been looking for something to make me feel better and that something has tended to involve a lessening of God's law. Somehow in my mind. Somehow diminishing his law in my mind. And that's where I've made my my mistake. And the answer to our problem of not being able to keep the law of being sinners, of needing God in our lives, 
of needing righteousness outside of us, of needing peace because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, not because of what we do, because of his character, not our character, the desire for that and the need for that was never clicking in my life because I was tending to diminish the law of God. Instead, a new way is pointed out in Romans chapter 3. Would you just flip over quickly to Romans chapter 3? After the Apostle Paul establishes that nobody can be saved because they're all sinners, us, Jews, Gentiles, he makes this claim. 19, chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, please pay attention now. Pop back up here to verse 21. We just skimmed it so fast. Please pay attention. But now the righteousness of God, apart from what? The law is revealed. I thought righteousness is defined by the law. I thought righteousness, what is the definition of righteousness? It's the law. What is the definition of sin? It's whatever's not the law. It's the transgression of the law. So how could righteousness be revealed apart from the law? God is not going to contradict himself in his own Bible. God's righteousness always is the definition of his law. But it comes to us apart from the law, from our law-keeping. Now God's righteousness is revealed apart from our keeping the law. So his righteousness, which is law-keeping, please, if you do not know that, please look in your Bibles. Righteousness is law. That's the definition of righteousness. And that is eternal as God himself. And we know that. As Adventists, we know that. I'm not telling you something new. I'm not trying to bring you into a new thing in that way with the law. It's his righteousness. But now it's saying to us that that righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law. That's impossible if you think it means that God's righteousness is revealed without his law there. Impossible. It only makes sense when you know that God's righteousness is revealed to you apart from the law. Even in the King James it says without the law. But that's not the way we understand the word without. Uh, in Hebrews, in the King James, it says Jesus suffered without the gate, outside of the gates of Jerusalem, outside of, away from, not without it. You know. So outside in the, in the uh, Old English means apart from, away from. And that's what it's saying to us. But now the righteousness of God, outside of, away from the law, so the law is eternal and never changes. And I must have a new birth experience to see the kingdom of heaven. But I find I'm not able to achieve that. 
Therefore, I must have a righteousness that comes to me some other way. And that is what the argument is in our Bibles. So what the Holy Spirit is gently, persuasively, eagerly trying to help us understand. We have heard the message of righteousness by faith preached before. Many times probably. But it sometimes, perhaps often, diminishes the importance of the change that happens in us. Then on the other side, we've heard righteousness by faith preached. Excuse me. We've not heard it preached. And it's emphasized the change that has to happen in us. But we find ourselves falling short and unable to accomplish the change that needs to happen in us. And if we can't accomplish it, it makes us mean. We become mean, grouchy, separate from sinners. Jesus was separate from sinners in a good way because he was separate from sin. When we understand and we come to God, and I'm telling you, you can do this on your knees and say, Lord, I know your law is never going to change. I know when I get to heaven, I've got to be in harmony with that law. I've got to be in harmony with those principles of love. But I don't know how to do it. And you become discouraged, and you know what I'm talking about. And you, you fail, and you become so dejected and depressed, and you want to feel like you want to give up. And then you hear a voice from the Bible that says you are complete in him. Colossians chapter 2. You do not hear a voice that says you are complete in yourself. You do not hear a voice that says, look, I'll help you to obey, and then you can be saved. You hear a voice that says you are now complete in him. You have a righteousness available to you that is apart from the law, but now the right... Look, at, read it with your own eyes. You're still there. But now, he says, now, because he's just said, nobody will be justified by the law. But now, he says, a righteousness from God apart from the law is revealed. It's revealed to you even the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And you say, what do you mean faith in Jesus? It means precisely this. Verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Now the King James says, through faith in his blood. I like that better. My new King James who says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. Ultimately, it's meaning the same thing. Uh, but I, I like the King James the way it puts it better. It is faith in his blood. That's exactly and precisely where your faith and my faith needs to be to be saved, is the faith in Jesus' blood. Please, let's not fall into the trap of thinking. <laughs> and I said this up in my Sabbath school class one time, and I really gave it to them. And boy, some people got really mad at me. But I, wasn't, I thought, well, I must be preaching the right way then. I've heard other preachers say the same thing. You know when people get mad at you and say you're not emphasizing the law enough, you know you must be saying something right. Because Paul had to encounter the same thing, right? People said, what, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, of course not. But that's what people are asking. And so I gave it to him straight, and here's what I told him. And I just, I think some of you here may be like, what in the world are you talking about? But I think some of you here are going to say, yes, I, I do this. This is my camp. This is what I fall into. You say, boy, I need to be changed to see heaven. I need to be a different man or woman to see heaven. And you know that it's through the Holy Spirit. Please now 
Follow this closely. You know it's through the Holy Spirit that you've got to be changed. And so you begin to pray for the Holy Spirit. And then you maybe hear a sermon like this and you say, and I'm going to have faith that God's going to give me the Holy Spirit. And you go home and you strive and you try and you pray and you hope and your life doesn't seem much different. It will never be different because you read this morning with your own eyes in Galatians chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit is only given through the what? Hearing of faith. The hearing of faith. It is only faith which allows God to have access through the Holy Spirit to us. It's faith in the death of Jesus Christ that brings us the Holy Spirit. So do not fall into the trap, like I have many times, of thinking, I'll just pray more for the Holy Spirit, and then my life will be different. I'll then have peace with God. No way. The Apostle Paul said, if, if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. There is another way to be saved besides keeping the law. That is one way. You've already failed. I've already failed. There's another way to be saved. And Romans 3.21 says, it's a way that is apart from the law. doesn't mean the law has stopped existing. It does not mean that you will not come into harmony with those precepts of God's law. But it means that it's a different way to be saved. That way is the way of faith, and faith specifically in the death of Jesus Christ for you. So that, And when I say that, what I'm saying is faith that you will stand in the courts of heaven because Jesus died for you. Alone. That's all it takes on your part. And then the Holy Spirit says, now I've got you. And he finds access to your heart and love springs up in our hearts. And maybe we still have some bad habits. Maybe? Yes. Not because God doesn't have the power. He begins to grow. Did not Jesus himself say, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he casts out. And every branch that bears fruit, he what? Prunes. It's a growing process. And we will bear fruit. And we'll have the fruits of the Spirit, which are, by the way, mentioned in Galatians. But that fruit's primarily going to be arriving out of love. All of a sudden, we're going to love God. No more must we strive within ourselves to find some worthiness by which to meet his favor. It has been granted freely to us in Jesus Christ. It comes by faith. The Holy Spirit, the one that can make the change in our hearts to fit us to see heaven and to see the Lord when he comes, to look up at his eyes and to know him and to be happy in him and not afraid and ashamed of him at his coming. That Holy Spirit comes when we trust that it's the death of Jesus Christ which saves our souls. And I will not have you turn to it because we're going to end this but if you want to look in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, you won't have to turn there. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then it on it goes until you get to verse 5. And it says, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm in Romans 5. The spirit-led life is not talked about till chapter 8. He's only talked about we're all sinners in chapter 1, 2, and half of 3. And then the second half of 3, he says, and here's the solution. The only way to be saved is not, a part, is not keeping the law. 
It's now a new way. It's called faith in the blood of Jesus Christ as your Savior. That, my friend, will take you to the courts of heaven. And then he says, let me give you an example in chapter 4. We've got Abraham. We've got David, two giants of the Old Testament. And he said, both of these guys confirm, yes, that's right. It was by faith that I was saved, David says. It's by faith that I was saved, Abraham says. Faith in the coming Messiah. And that was chapter 4. And then he gets to 5 and he says, and by the way, you're not going to be, yeah, you're going to go through disappointments and troubles, but you know what? It's not going to discourage you because the love of God has been poured abroad into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And you say, whoa, whoa, when did you talk about the Holy Spirit being given to us? I mean, I was there for chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and now we're at 5. Where was the Holy Spirit being given to us? Where? Galatians says that it comes to us by the hearing of faith. That when we hear that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins and we take him and his death alone as our only guarantee of salvation, that somehow gives the Holy Spirit access to our hearts. And Paul doesn't even say anything about it in Romans. He just says, it was given to you. What? When? When you finally gave up on your own righteousness. You finally gave up on your own efforts to make yourself right with God. You finally, really it's pride, isn't it? Is it not pride that keeps it from us from accepting this message? We somehow want something that we can find inside of us. And when we lay it down and we say, ah, I'm done for. There's no way I can make it in except by God's grace. Then he says, you've got it now. And now you've found access to the Holy Spirit. Rather, the Holy Spirit's found access to you. And now the fruit will be love. Yes, someday you might be vegan too. But you ever thought about this? Jesus talked to you about he's the vine, we're the branches, the grapes. You know, I've never seen a grape bush, a vine, eat its own grapes. We bear fruit for others. So often I've thought of bearing fruit as just myself. I'm going to be vegan. I'm not going to watch that bad thing. I shouldn't. All these things about I'm doing. And I know God wants to take care of those things in our lives. Yes, he does. He does want those out of our lives. But when he talks about fruit buried, he's talking primarily, folks, people around you are going to start being blessed. You're going to start being, and that is my litmus test now. Do the guys I work with at my hardware store feel like I'm loving to them? Some days I'm not. And here I'm trying to focus and study scripture and think, memorizing verses and I'm contemplating and I'm totally ignoring these guys I'm working with. And I'm thinking I'm drawn near to God. And Jesus says, it's not how it works, Jeremy. Lay all that down. Take the pathway of faith. Leave it all behind. You've heard the story, maybe, of the, uh, you know, this man dies and he goes to the gates of heaven. And St. Peter's standing there and he says, okay, you need a thousand points to get in. And the man says, a thousand points. Yeah, you know, if you've done good things in your life, you get points for that. Oh, okay. Well, the man says, I was a deacon in my church for 35 years. Great, one point. One point. He says, man, I was a faithful father to my children and a faithful husband to my wife. We were married 57 years. Three points. Three points. Well, I always made sure that I went out and fed the homeless every Tuesday. Good, one point. 
one point. Finally, the man gives up in frustration. He says, the only way I'm going to get in here is by the grace of God. And Peter says, welcome in. (laughs) My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil, the veil in the temple in heaven. When he shall come with trumpet sounds, oh, may I then in him be found, clad in his Righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We're going to pray, but I want to mention this thing fell off the piano while I was playing. Did you guys notice that? Okay, you guys, listen, that was not an accident. No, uh, Satan works, I'm telling you, because then you go away thinking the last thing, oh, how funny, Jeremy's playing the piano, that thing fell off. HMS Richards, he said whenever he would preach from Revelation chapter 12 on the great red dragon, something would happen. Something, one time a dog came in to his tent and shook like crazy, fell around and fell on its floor dead. In the middle of the sermon, Revelation chapter 12. Another time he was preaching Revelation chapter 12, and he said, look, something's going to happen, you know. And this was in the days when people brought horse and buggies. And he said, all of a sudden, a great hailstone started to fall, huge ones. And they fell. One fell and hit the horse in the head. It fell over and died. I'm telling you. We're getting ready. We're singing this song about being in Jesus. And I'm saying Satan does not want us to know this truth. And he does not want us to focus on this truth of righteousness by faith. Ellen White says in Selective Messages, She says, Satan is unwilling. She says, the enemy of souls is unwilling that we should understand this truth, for he knows that if the people grasp it, his power will be broken. Let's not give Satan a victory today and go away thinking about that. Let's go away thinking about in Jesus Christ when he comes, we will have assurance because we are taking him as our salvation, our savior, faith in him alone. His death is now my death. His character stands in place of mine. And I will not look to myself to find salvation, not even to my own obedience, but I will look to Jesus Christ, and through that I know the Holy Spirit will change me and bring me into harmony with God's law. It will happen, but I don't look there. I look to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth, and thank you, because I know it's wonderful to hear these things, but I know when it comes down to it, all of us must get on our knees before you, And we must call out, and you said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not enough to hear it. It's not enough to hear it. We must call out and say, God, I take you as my Savior. Jesus, you are my Savior right now. You're mine. I will not look back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.